Do you ever feel all alone out there running your landscape, hardscape, or outdoor living business? Struggling in silence to grow and scale profitably with fewer employees? Wishing there was a better way to make money in this industry without all the insanely long hours and ridiculously hard work? You're not alone. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. Each week, our tribe comes together to empower business owners to add more profitable services by teaching how to successfully hire and manage subcontractors. Join my inner circle mastermind. Gentlemen, it's time to start winning. For more information, email me, hello at yes.express. Again, it's hello at yes.express. Now, let's get on with the show. You can't be defined by your past. You can't let your future uh, be interrupted because of something that happened to you or maybe you did wrong in the past. You know, I tell my story because I can't let my past uh, hold me back. Don't let your past dictate your future. Move forward and move beyond it. Hello and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. I am on a mission to scour the globe to find and interview the most brilliant mindset coaches, sales strategists, and business leaders alive and present them in a way that landscapers, hardscapers, and outdoor living pros can immediately put them into use to grow and thrive. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 27 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. Today, I have Mike Morosky on the show, and he's a 30-year veteran of the real estate investment world. And uh, he started out as a standard carpenter building projects and then decided to get into the real estate realm. Uh, he's got quite a unique story. In a very short amount of time, he built a $100 million company, all to lose it uh, in 2008, and he went to prison for eight years. And now he's back and, and being rebuilt and rebuilding his life and teaching and coaching people. He's written books. He's done all, everything. So um, I bring you his story because first of all, he's a remarkable man and what he's done so far with his life. And second of all, to show how, even if you think, Hey, I'm just a landscaper, a hardscaper, outdoor living professional, you know, this whole idea of creating cash flow in my life beyond my business is just so foreign to me. I keep bringing new people on the show in this realm because it took me a very long time to figure this out. And once I finally did figure out how to create passive cash flow and cash passive income, it changed my life. And I want to help you guys do that as well. It's such a huge privilege in my life to have that. And I know if this guy from the cornfields of Pennsylvania can figure it out, so can you. So I keep bringing people on to help you with that. But Mike's story is unique. And he drops a lot of great information here about how you can get started and uh, how you got to shift your mindset to get there. So enjoy. Hey, Mike, I'm so excited to have you here on the show. Today, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, something that eluded me for most of my life. And that was the idea of mailbox money, of creating the opportunity to have cash coming in while I'm sleeping, right? And I know the listeners out there be like, boy, wouldn't that be nice, you know, to have a check coming in, to, to build something once and have it pay long-term. I know in our projects, the way that we normally do it, we get a big slug of cash, 20, 30, 50, 500,000, whatever it might be in your world. Um, you know, a big slug of cash from a project. Most of that goes out to paying for the debt of that project, labor, overhead, all of that. And hopefully there's a profit at the end. And if there is, we end up spending it on something else and we keep that cycle up. I did that for over 20 years and had not a whole lot to show for it. 
And so finally, when someone introduced me to this idea of creating uh, a cash flow, and I was thinking like, yeah, sure, maybe for people who go to college can figure that shit out. I'm a you know, guy from the cornfields of Pennsylvania. How am I going to know this? I don't have that kind of credentials to figure this out until I did. And that has absolutely profoundly changed my life. And that's why I wanted to bring you on here, Mike. You've done some pretty incredible things. And uh, so I'd love to dive into this idea of how does the average person, whether you're a contractor, whether you're a librarian, whatever it might be, how do we start building cash flow in our lives? Yeah, what a great question. And I think that, you know, God, I could probably talk about five or six things right away. Um, I heard somebody say a long time ago that there was, was uh, two distinct ways to make money. You could exchange time for dollars. That's where we go to work and punch a clock every day. Or you could uh, create residual income. You know, and residual income comes from uh, like you said, mailbox money, right? So if you're maybe in the insurance business and you are selling life insurance and it gets renewed every year, that creates residual income. But it's the same thing in what uh, we do in the uh, real estate apartment business. There's a reoccurring cash flow that happens from that. And that cash flow that comes in every month, really the, the goal of any entrepreneur uh, should be to have your passive income, your cash flow, offset your uh, monthly income so that you could leave your W-2 job or leave the rat race, right? That's right. That's right. So, and, and I think there's different systems out there that you can do it with. It's just a matter of putting things in place and learning what those are for you. No, absolutely. And I know there's a lot of vehicles to your point to be able to do that. And, you know, in some of our businesses, you think, okay, well, we do maintenance, right? We mow lawns or do it commercially, or we do it residentially. And that every single week or every single two weeks, whatever your cadence is, you get a, you know, rotated revenue, you get constantly cash flow that way, but there's also expenses hooked to that and all those things too. So that's good. But oftentimes you're still doing the work or you're managing right. the people who are, and that's not a bad thing, but that's not true passiveness, right? The idea of passive income is to have it be passive, right? And that right. minimal of your time involved, it's not like, hey, you know, I didn't have to go to work and actually mow that lawn, but I still had to put 12 hours in to make sure that guy did it right. That's not passive anymore. Passive is when it shows up when you didn't do anything, when you went to sleep and woke up and the check shows up in the mail. So and that is not something that you're entitled to. I know I've talked to people in the past who are like, yeah, I'm entitled to passive income, yeah, entitled to shit. You got to get out and work for that. You want to build that project. You want to cash in in the beginning of it and you don't have any long-term cash flow from it. Well, that's, that's what it is. That's that nature of that kind of work. But there are other vehicles out there. If we broaden our spectrum a little bit more, and this was where I had to really have a big awakening in my world and stay away from just the idea of going hand to mouth and saying project to, you know, to checkbook, to back out the project to checkbook and hopefully have a little bit of cash flow or not cash flow, sorry, profit at the end of the month um, to thinking differently. To thinking, you know, I'm going to put a lot of time into this deal to create the deal on the real estate side. And there's not a guarantee it's going to happen, right? You underwrite it, put it out there, put the deal out there, see what happens. Next thing you know, it pops up, say, oh, they're going to take it. Great. Perfect. And then you got to, the work of creating a cash flow from that, right? It's taking what that opportunity is and how can we possibly make some money on it and make sure that the people in the, the apartments or whatever it might be that they live a very good life not some slumlord bullshit but you know making sure there's great quality of living in there to make sure that they that uh the overall that it, it's good more you know moral way to move forward with it so anyway 
I say all of that because that's one vehicle. Real estate's one vehicle. And that happens to be my specialty. So I wanted to talk to you guys about that because I thought it was a completely foreign subject to this, you know, again, this landscaper that was born in the cornfields of Pennsylvania. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it's not that different than what we normally do. There's just a, a couple of different steps in there. We're already working our ass off. Why not have something that each time you work, you get a little bit every month. And that goes into, you know, the ideally it goes into perpetuity, right? It keeps going and going and going. So I'd love for you to talk more about that. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear your story, Mike, because I hear that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's different than the average story and how you got through and into this. So I'd love to start in the beginning and kind of work through so people know who they're listening to. Yeah, so I appreciate that. And, you know, just a couple of comments, you know, you talked about the landscaper that was, you know, cutting lawns over and over again. He's still exchanging time for, for dollars, yeah. right? So uh, whether you're punching a clock or you're running a business as an entrepreneur, you're still exchanging time for dollars. You know, and that really goes back to the beginning of my story. I was a general contractor. I was building 25 room additions a year and I got there in a in in an unconventional way how did i get into that business but i was building 25 room additions a year and i was out of work every time i um you know finished a room addition i had to go get another one or another yep. kitchen to remodel or yep. you know so you were always putting yourself out of business out of work and had to go get more and and when you start to build a company where you have you know 20 employees and you've got 22 trucks on the street and you know a lot of things going on you you have to keep that machine going so um you know i was fortunate i had somebody who was knocking at my door to buy my business and remember vividly, Joshua, I woke up one morning, sit up in bed next to my wife at the time. And I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And we sold the company. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you do everything, right? You do the marketing, the sales, the appointments, you order material, you uh, schedule, you get to the job. And, you know, I was still in the field banging nails as a carpenter. And I just, I was done. So I sold the company and I took a year off or thought I was going to take a year off, you know, as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, you know, I went right away. I bought two, two flats to rehab. And, you know, this is long before rehabbing or house hacking was sexy. Mm -hmm. And I started to rehab these units. So um, I, I, during, during that rehab process, I met a real estate agent who was really successful. And I thought, this is a business I could go into and do well at. So I went into the residential real estate sales business. And as a residential agent, I um, sold 78 houses my first nine months in the business. I'm a little bit of an overachiever. Mm -hmm. Built a team selling 125 homes a year. And did that consecutively for about 12 years. 2005, as I saw the market starting to shift, as I saw the market starting to shift, I'd always wanted to be in the apartment business. I'd watched a couple large apartment syndicators in my market start with one four flat and all of a sudden own thousands of units. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there was mailbox money or residual income in that by doing that. And I also knew that I could help a lot of other investors come into those opportunities. So we started to buy apartment complexes um, and syndicate those deals. And syndication is just a fancy word for saying, you know, you're working a W-2 job or have a business and take some of the capital you earn, 
put it into these deals and get profit from it. So my goal is to always try and help my investors double their money in a four to five year period, which outpaces the rule of 72, right? Mm -hmm. So rule of 72 says every seven and a half years, your money should double if it's in 10% interest bearing accounts or eight to 10% interest bearing accounts. Well, I want to do better than that for my investors. So we would buy these apartment complexes, bring investors in. Well, in 30 months, I scaled a hundred million dollar company. I bought $60 million worth of uh, apartments in five U.S. markets and built a property management company managing 7,500 units. Again, like I said, I did that in 30 months. Well, 2008 rolled around and you know, you may be aware or not be aware of what happened in 2008. It was the worst economic crisis we had ever seen. And so um, I went into the apartment business and, uh, you know, really thought we were going to do well because that economic crash happened on the residential side. I didn't think it would happen on the commercial side. Mm-hmm. But by 2010, and it all caught up with us. What we did, I started to move money back and forth between companies. So I always tell people I made five mistakes. I grew way too fast. I was very unstable as a company because of the quick growth that we had. Uh, I was over leveraged. So I owned uh, $60 million worth of real estate at 85% loan to value. Mm when I didn't have any equity in these deals, I should have been at 65% loan to value. And I was undercapitalized as a business owner to grow the company at a rate I was growing it at. And then I didn't pay attention to the details. Asset management is really important. And if you're not paying attention to that, you uh, take your eye off the ball, challenges happen. So as a result of that, I had 38 companies at the time, some of which were running very profit profitably and some that weren't. So I started to take money from the profitable companies and put it into non-profitable companies because I didn't want my investors to get hurt. I should have just let 12 deals I had at the time go to foreclosure and a handful of investors get hurt, but I wanted to save everybody. And uh, because of moving that money and and my accountant and my attorney both said, it's okay to do that. Just leave a paper trail. But what I didn't do was I didn't tell my investors. So I wasn't transparent in all I did for my investors. And as a result of that, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and wound up uh, getting sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. So got wiped out, lost everything. And went to prison. And went to prison. And when I say got wiped out, lost everything, that includes family and business and, you know, quite a few people in my uh, in my world at the time. Wow. Wow. So how long did you serve for? Uh, I was gone for about seven years, 10 months, almost eight years. I came home the week they closed the world down for the pandemic. Now, oh, wow. What I would say is a lot of people at that point might say, hey, your world is over. You're done. Yeah. And I actually thought that, you know, I walked around for a number of weeks just wondering what happened and how I was going to get through this. And um, a guy walked up to me about six weeks into my uh, eight year stay and said, hey, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take from you everything you've ever known. 
They can take your family, they can destroy your business, they can take all your money, but what they can't take is who you are and what you're made of and what helped you achieve those that $100 million company. You can go get all that back again. He goes, but take care of yourself today. And you know, I think we're all faced with these defining moments in our life. And this was a place that the switch flipped. And I, I said, okay. And I started going to this guy's class. You know, I'd gone from running marathons to being 35 pounds overweight. I absolutely hated myself. Mm. I always tell people, I say, hey, I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't have a big house. I was a neighborhood baseball coach, home every night for dinner. And I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men I didn't know, nor did I like, wondering what the hell happened in my life. Mm. But this, this guy says to me, he goes, come to my class, start losing weight your life will start to change. So I, I took him up on it. I started going to the gym. I started working out. I started to feel better. I lost weight. I wound up writing two books in prison. I wound up one on property management, one on multifamily investing. I, I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate investing and property management and ethics in prison for six years. I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I totally re-engineered my life. I was on an outreach program. I went in the community, told my story to local business owners and college students. And I wound up meeting a professor from the University of Minnesota. And he and I co-authored a paper together that we had published in the Business Journal of Ethics that gets taught today at the collegiate level for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. Wow. So I thought I'm going to come home. I'm going to go into coaching and training business and I'm going to build this platform, which I did. But part of that was I had to start underwriting deals again. And underwriting is a fancy word for analyzing the numbers, right? Yep. We look at the we look at all the numbers and make sure the deal works. And so I started teaching myself how to underwrite again, found a deal in Florida, went to two of my coaching clients, said, I think we should partner on this. <clears throat> and along the way, our securities attorney said, Hey, I think I can get you approved by the SEC the Securities and Exchange Commission to go back and be an issuer of securities and a sponsor of deals again. <clears throat> I didn't hear from her for three months. And she comes back one day with a certificate or pay, a letter from SEC that says, you got approved. Hmm. So, I mean, everything's turned around. So I'm back syndicating apartment deals, helping, you know, two, two of my missions in the apartment business. One is that, uh, I, you know, and you kind of alluded to this early on in the podcast, but I want to provide safe and secure housing for my tenants. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of single moms out there that, uh, and dads too, I don't want to take away from single dads, but the kid comes home from school and the parents still at work. They want to make sure when that door closes behind them, that they're safe, that they're not being chased by a, a gun runner or a drug dealer or trying to get in a gang. So I want to provide safe and secure housing for my tenants. Um, and uh, the other piece is I want to create a financial difference in my investor's life and create that passive income for them along with generational wealth that they can pass down to their families for years to come. I love that, dude. I love it. And holy crap, what a story. Holy moly. So, <laughs> so when you got out then in prison and you, you obviously wrote books in there and you did a lot of stuff in there, what was it like to come back to like reality? I mean, I'm sure prison was no fun. Like to finally be out and can you take us back to the day you were kind of released back into the, the world and what that was like? 
well, you know, you, you get released and they give you 38 bucks and a bus ticket and mm. send me from, you know, on a 10 hour bus ride from Duluth, Minnesota to Chicago. And you got a lot of time to sit in a bus and think, yeah. um, and you look around and you go, man, has stuff changed? Are things different? Nothing looks the same, especially when I started to come into the Chicago area. And so, um, you know, you, you get back and I came back when they closed the world down for the pandemic. And, you know, so I like jumped from one prison into another, right? <laughs> Isolation again, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. But, wow. you know, it was a good, it was a good 10 months for me, right? During that, that pandemic time, being able to readjust. I had a friend of mine who was taking me for a job interview and we were in the car and I said to him, I go, Ross, I feel like I'm doing something wrong you know, cause I had gotten so institutionalized by being inside, seeing the five, same five, 600 men every day, uh, same routine every day. Now you're put back in the world. And I came home and I had a whiteboard all cleaned off fresh. I could mm -hmm. build the life that I wanted to build. And I spent a lot of time before I came home deciding what that was going to look like. And, you know, everything from uh, the woman I wanted to have in my life to the business I wanted to build to the future I wanted to have to the relationships I want to have with my children. And, you know, I get I get to work on all of that today. Mm -hmm. I love that. So what was it like coming back and, you know, having that clean whiteboard and saying, I'm going to start all over fresh. And, you know, like, how was that to, to you know, going in to prison one mindset and coming out a different way and saying, I can restart this all again. What was that like? Yeah, it's, um, it's very unsettling. It takes you a while to get, you know, to get used to being on the outside again. Um, but, you know, I came home and I was going to start this coaching and training event platform and I was going to do live events and, you know, um, boy, I've been to, I've been to a number of events the last couple of years and, and I don't even want to be in that business. It's way too much work, yeah. but I'm into coaching and training business and I work with only, you know, a handful of people. I, I have a couple programs. I have a group program, but I also work with a handful of individuals that I've helped them to build their multifamily portfolio, right. And to go out and syndicate deals. And I've had some really, you know, successful, uh, students along the way, but it took a lot of re-engineering, thinking through, you know, what you were going to do with your life and how you do things differently. You know, as simple as you went to eat every day at the same time for the same three meals every day, and you ate off a plastic tray with plastic silverware. And the first time I came home and sat in a restaurant and put a metal fork in my mouth, it was like, holy cow. This is different, you know, the little things, right. That you took for granted before. Now, all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There are little things, you, a lot of little things we take for granted every day. Yeah. You don't know it till you don't have them anymore. So, right. Wow. That must've been quite a transition. And how old were you when you came out of prison? I was 62. Wow. Wow. So amazing. You get a whole nother lease on life now. Yeah. I just Maybe. turned 60. Four. So I was 63. I just right. turned 66. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. So, um, all right. So for listeners out there that might be thinking, all right, this is great. That's one hell of a story. Um, so when you do mentoring and coaching for people to get into this space, you know, what are some of the first steps? If some of the listeners are out there thinking like, you know, cause I, I, 
I tell them and I tell others as well that the overall goal is when you make $100 that you put five or $10 away or more, but at a minimum, five, 10 bucks away. So you can start your journey into this direction because it's going to take some cash and you don't have to have all cash. Sometimes you can use other people's money. There's a lot of different deal structures out there. But at the same time, probably some of the easiest ways is for people to say, all right, well, I'm going to go out. I'm going to save some money so I can get a down payment on a uh, maybe even flip a house close by or whatever, go into long-term rental, maybe burr that property, whatever it might be. But right. you're going to need probably some cash. So, and it's always good to have at least three to six months core capital sitting behind you in case you lose your job or you get hurt on the job that you, your family can, you know, thrive in that time as well. So, you know, first rule of thumb is three to six months of, of expenses put away in savings. And then from there, keep adding. So each project you finish, you put five to 10% of the net profits at the end. Uh, away, right? You just keep squirreling that away and keep putting it into growth vehicles, something simple that's liquid you can pull out. Now, once you want to get moving and get into real estate, what are some some ways to get started? Because this sounds, I know for me, for most of my life, this idea of real estate was like, I need to go and have like a an entire four-year degree to get into this thing. It seems so daunting and so crazy. When I realized how stupid easy it was to get in, Mike, it blew my mind. So what I'd love yeah. for you to tell us is how, how can we get started with this? How, do, how does the average person out there building projects, saving some money on the side, how do we finally start building a mailbox money train? So I don't know if you realize it or not, but you probably asked like six questions in the I last. Did, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I figured one of them would hit. <laughs> I give you choices. Yeah. So um, what, you know, I, I want to, uh, I want to just touch on a couple of things. Okay. One is, I sold residential real estate for 15 years and I went in the apartment business thinking that it would be an easy transition. And when the first time somebody said to me, cap rate, NOI or yield, I was like, what are you talking about? I had no idea, right? Yeah. So I had to re-educate myself and learn all of this new, new language, learn the anatomy of a syndication, learn all this stuff over again. Yeah. Um, so get the education you need. I think it's really important. I think everybody should be spending 10% of their income a year on education, right? If not more. Um, I've been in coaching programs and educational programs for 20 years, learning stuff. I still have two coaches in my life today mm -hmm. because, you know, once you start to think that you know it all or you're the smartest guy around, you're done. You're, you're wiped done. out. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I think education is a big piece. Uh, there's some really key fundamentals and three of them that come to mind right away are relationships, the relationships with the people who are around you or not around you yet are huge. You need to be building relationships every day and there's different buckets of relationships you need to be building. The other thing is learn how to underwrite. Okay. Learn how to analyze deals, whether it's a single family Burr model whether it's a large 200 unit multifamily project or just, you know, a five unit, learn how to underwrite it, understand what needs to go into that. And the third thing is raising private capital. You know, yeah, it's a great idea to put some money away, but the average person's not going to do that. If the average person is uh, understands how, how this model works and has great relationships and can find a great deal and bring a great deal to the marketplace, you can go raise the capital to do it, right? Somebody reached out to me the other day, said, can you teach me how to uh, go and buy multifamily product and not use any of my own money? I said, sure, if you're willing to learn and willing to 
to do the hard work that gets involved. Yep. And then the, um, the other piece is creative, right? Be creative. Um, I've bought, you know, I just bought a 65 unit multifamily deal, uh, that we didn't, you know, we didn't put any money into and we wound up, uh, taking possession of a property with an underlying mortgage at, you know, four, 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 uh, points below what interest rates are today. And, you know, put a creative structure together that benefits us, the old owner and, uh, our investors. So, you know, there's a ton of ways to go and do this. I love it. I love it, Mike. And you're absolutely right. And I'd like to bring this full circle for our, uh, for our listeners. If, you know, if you're doing uh, landscaping or lawn maintenance, or you're doing uh, lighting, whatever, and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I want to get into water features, or I want to get into patios, or I want to get into building decks. There's a learning curve to that, isn't there? Right? You've got to learn how to do that, get the tools together. You talk about underwriting. Every project that you do out there, guys, you're basically underwriting that deal. You're underwriting in a sense where you got to put all your equipment expenses in there, your, you know, all of your expenses for the materials. You've got to figure out your labor side of things. That's not the same, but you're already doing some of this work in a different way. And what I'm saying is when you have the opportunity to do it as a deal like Mike is saying, whether it's a single family property or whether it's a, you know, a multifamily um, apartment building, it's just a different kind of structure, right? And there's different parameters and different numbers to learn, just like with compacting, making sure you got the stone right when you put your pavers down, all that kind of stuff. Here, you'd have to look at, okay, well, what's the interest rate and what's my internal rate of return and what's the NOI? And like all these terms you have to learn, just like you have to learn there when you're going from landscaping into other things. So my point is there's a direct correlation. That's why I wanted Mike to come on because at some point you realize that it's possible for you. And when you do learn that you can create this long-term generational wealth for your family, that's when the entire game changes. And that's my bigger hope for listeners out there. Realize that they have the capacity to make this happen and build those relationships, as Mike said. So Mike, where's the best place for people to find relationships like this to start building so they can get started in this direction? Yeah, I, I think networking groups, right? Any meetup out there, any networking group, specific maybe to your industry or not specific to your industry. Yeah. You know, go meet other people that are building businesses and doing things, you know. I'll go to meetups in the financial world or I'll go to meetups in the real estate world, right? Because that's where uh, where you meet people and you can talk about your craft. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's really important to think about the different buckets you you need or people in those areas you need relationships with. You know, let's just talk about the multifamily business. You need broker relationships, you need lender relationships, you need insurance people relationships, yeah. and you need relationships with everybody else who has the uh, potential to be a private investor in your real estate deal so that they can share in the profits with you. I love it. That's exactly right. And that translates directly back into what we're already doing, guys. Like when it comes down to it, you need to have a supplier. So there's a relationship. You need to have an equipment specialist, someone you can take your equipment to get fixed or get parts for. There's another like, you know, relationship you've got to get into if you need any kind of mentorship throughout growing your business, there's another relationship. So there's no matter what, I'm trying to create a correlation between the two. So the real estate doesn't seem so crazy and different because that's what for me, that was my biggest hang up was like, oh my God, I'll never figure this out. I don't have the education for this. And all those saboteurs in my mind would come up and tell me about how I couldn't make this work and how I was going to mess it up until it didn't happen that way, until I realized the power of this. 
and the, the such beautiful benefits of not having to worry about bills every month. And that's what I want for every one of the listeners out there is to have this potential, but you're going to have to do the work. I had to do a lot of freaking work. I got very blessed to have an incredible mentor uh, that I could work with. And he taught me so much. He pulled me under his wing and taught me this stuff. And I didn't go searching for him. You know, there's an old adage that, you know, when, when the, the student is ready, the mentor will appear. And right. it's exactly what happened. And I, I didn't know I was ready for it. All of a sudden it happened. Right. So be open to those things is my bigger say in that and, and keep you like Mike said earlier about being creative. That's not just in the financing side. That's also, okay, how can I make this work? Like, yeah, maybe I got 20,000 sitting on the side or even 10,000 sitting on the side. How can I make that possibly a no money in deal, right? Do something on a sub two or grab someone else's, you know, uh, note and move forward with it. There's books upon books upon books on how to do this. And if you can find somebody in a networking group that's already doing this, go up to them and talk to them. I bet you'd be really surprised with how affordable and how open they would be to teaching you this. Because Mike, if somebody came up to you tomorrow or even today and said, hey, Mike, can you teach me how to do this? What would you tell them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would yeah. tell them I'm totally open to teaching them this. And is this something that's going to cost like a million dollars to learn? It's not. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not an advocate for, $50,000 coaching programs. Yep. I, I believe that if, if somebody's got that kind of money, let's invest some in a deal and yep. let's invest some in coaching. You do need to pay for your education, for right? Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I do things a little bit uh, differently than, than some of the other coaches out there. I love it, dude. I love it. So hey, one thing, can I say one thing here? Please, please, yeah. Here's what I really, you know, and, and I was sitting here, I just kind of listening to you. And one thing I really want people to understand, um, especially your audience with this podcast is you can't be defined by your past. Mm. You can't let your future uh, be interrupted because of something that happened to you or maybe you did wrong in the past. You know, I tell my story because I can't let my past uh, hold me back. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people in mental prisons. I might've been behind a wall, but I think there's people in mental prisons that are held back, held down because of addictions, past yeah. abuse issues. They lost a business. They failed. They had a bad contract, uh, a landscaper that maybe had employees that, that, uh, you know, scandaled off with some money or, you know, don't let your past dictate your future move forward and move beyond it. Oh, that's so true. So true. Yeah. You don't want to, you definitely don't want to do that because tomorrow's a new day and right. you're an excellent example of that and having to go through everything you've gone through and now coming back out and, and, you know, growing back into the man that you were created. And I love that part of, of your story and that story of the human experience overall is the fact that oftentimes people would think, well, Hey, you know what, Mike, he had everything built up a hundred million dollar company lost it all, went into prison. Now he starts at zero again when he gets out. That's bullshit because you know what? All that education, all of those things that you learned, all the pain you went through, all the triumphs and wins you had, they're still with you. So when you go to start out again, you're starting at an, almost an unfair advantage because you've already experienced those things and you don't have the fear of that starting up anymore. Was that your, your story, Mike? Yeah, you know, I would agree with that 100%. I, you know, financially, I might have started out at zero. Yeah. But I didn't start out at zero education wise or, you know, mm -hmm. skill wise or the ability to have conversations with people. Yeah. So and you built all those skill sets before and those things just ride right out. So absolutely. 
Mike, is there anything else you want to bestow on our listeners before we wrap up here? You know, um, it, listen, if people are interested in multifamily, uh, I wrote a book called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing. And love to give your listeners a copy if they want to just shoot me an email with an address. I'll, I'll, I'll put a copy in the mail to them. Awesome. So that sounds good. So what's the best way for them to reach out to you for that? Uh, they can, uh, first of all, uh, you can find me anywhere on social media. So any of the social media platforms, uh, I'm out there. I put a lot of content out, go to my YouTube channel. If you want some tips and techniques, there's hours and hours and hours of, of, uh, content there. And, uh, then I have a Facebook group also to community where there's a lot of networking and inside things going on in there, uh, called, uh, multifamily unplugged. Um, you could shoot me an email directly at Mike at MikeMorowski.com. And uh, I love to network. If you want to connect, let's jump on a call and see how I can help you on, on your journey. I love it, Mike. That sounds awesome. And you guys, I keep bringing on real estate investors on this show. And I know that might seem a little bit strange for people that are in the outdoor living space or landscapers or hardscapers, but I tell you right now that it's one of the most amazing things that God has you know, bestowed on my life is to have this opportunity to now be more focused on serving him and serving my clients than it would be to trying to pay bills all the time. And if anybody out there, if just one of you guys takes the, the advice and starts reading and becomes dangerous in that category, gets into real estate and figures out how to, how simple it is really to create cash flow for their family, that just doesn't impact you. That impacts your children and their children, and it continues to grow. So that's why this is so near and dear to my heart and why you're hearing it on this podcast. And I'll continue to have other excellent examples like Mike coming on in order to help you break through that mindset of it. I can't do that. I wasn't born that way. My parents didn't do that. I didn't go to school for this. I'm not smart enough for that to break that bullshit out of your head so you can really realize that, yes, you can do this. Because if this guy from the cornfields of Pennsylvania could figure it out, so can you. So, Mike, thank you for coming on. And uh, guys talk more next week.